0: Welcome to CYC podcast discussions on child and youth care. I'm Wolfgang Vashon. For much of this year, Salvatore, Shanice, Vivian, Chris, and I have been focusing on people from or currently in the child welfare system. You know, in some respects, this is a bit of a return to the roots of child and youth care, which comes out of residential placement, residential care. And it also reflects the experiences of a lot of people involved in this podcast as well, of course, as my own research over the past several years. See, for example, www.refile.ca. Today, we're continuing these conversations around residential placement, Children's Aid Society, Child Welfare, with two amazing folks from the Ontario Association of Children's Aid Societies, OACAS, David Lewis Peart and Megan Lindley. OACAS is in the process of putting together the 2021 YouthCAN Can Conference, which will be taking place this August 10th and 11th. The conference will be happening virtually, and you can find links for and more information about the conference in the show notes at cycpodcast.org. Megan and David are going to talk with us today about the conference, about OACAS, and some realities facing young people in the child welfare system in Ontario these days. Hello, David and Megan, and thank you both so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you for having us, Wolfgang.
0: Hi, thank you. I'm wondering if we could start with just some introductions about who each of you are.
1: Sure. This means hello in Cree. My name is Megan Lindley. I'm a Cree Métis woman with family roots in Red River and Athabasca, Chippewyan, and I currently live in Toronto. I have a bachelor's degree in child and youth care and was actually the second graduating class of Humber's degree program, which feels at this point like many minutes ago. I also completed my master's of social work at U of T with a specialty in social justice and diversity. My specialization in area of concentration during my graduate work focused on the intersectionality between mental health, social determinants of health, and the over-representation of marginalized populations in the child welfare and criminal justice systems. Um, particularly, I, I was really focused on using an indigenous knowledge and anti-colonial anti-Black racism framework in all of my work, practice, and research. Um, I also have both personal and professional experience with the child welfare and mental health systems. I have over eight years of frontline experience in social services, child welfare, criminal justice, and the mental health fields. For example, working at the George Hall Center in residential treatment, with CAMH and CMHA in court-mandated treatment, and most recently at Justice for Children and Youth uh, before finding my way to the OACAS.
0: For listeners, I taught Megan those many moons ago that you <laughs> spoke about, um, and you've certainly done huge amounts since then. It's amazing to, to reconnect and, uh, and congratulations on all that incredible, exciting work. And I, I look forward to hearing uh, your perspectives coming out of those, those experiences in our conversation today. And David, would you introduce yourself for us
2: please? Yeah, my name is David. I too live in Toronto. I'm the child of uh, immigrants from Jamaica by way of England. And I also have uh, experience as a former child in the care system and a service user of the mental health service system. I spent the last decade and more working in frontline social services and mental health. And most recently have worked as a corporate trainer Uh, And as a child and youth care and social service work lecturer at local colleges here in in Toronto, and as a consultant doing work around equity and diversity. My background, uh, I received a degree from York where my focus of research was on community interventions in Black youth. I hold a diploma in human services counseling with a specialization in mental health and a postgraduate in mediation and alternative dispute resolution. And I'm currently a master's student in social work with a focus on trauma At the University of Toronto.
0: You should be leading and conducting this (laughs) interview with the experience that the two of you have. That's amazing and I I think the OACAS is super fortunate to, to have both of you. So thank you for taking the time today to have this conversation. So each of you do work at the Ontario Association of Children's Aid Societies and there are a variety of these sorts of structures around the world but Perhaps you could start by letting us know what does the OACAS, what it is, and what it does?
1: Uh, Great question. So there are actually 51 mandated children's aid societies. We'll probably refer to them as CAS moving forward, and Indigenous Child and Family Well-Being Agencies in Ontario. And so OACAS is an association that represents 50 of those member organizations, for over 100 years, OACAS has served its members, the community, the public, and the government in a variety of different ways. For example, these services have included the promotion of child welfare issues, government relations, advocacy, policy development, communications, research, and special projects. Of course, there's member support, quality assurance, and child welfare practice and training for protection workers and also for caregivers as well throughout the province. And so OACAS works with the member agencies, communities, and the government. We work really closely, particularly the Ministry of Children, Community and Social Services, Ministry of Education and Health to bring positive change to child welfare services.
2: We're both part of a new division within OACAS It's called Practice Transformation and led by our team's director, Iona Sky. Our work collectively is to respond to the significant moment that I think we all recognize that we're in, in child welfare across the province, in ways that are new and innovative and meaningful for the betterment of children and youth in the care system. Megan and I are part of the youth services portfolio and in our role, we oversee all things youth focus for the association and the province. In tandem with other team members and other stakeholders, our work is meant to sort of elevate and embed the voices of children and youth in all aspects of child welfare work across the province.
0: David, because we have listeners from all over the world and not everyone stays abreast of what's happening in Ontario or in Canada, you you talk about this being a significant moment. What is significant about this at this
2: moment in time? So, there's been a lot of changes, a lot of realizations over the last uh, decade or more on the somewhat harmful impacts of the child welfare system on particular communities, Indigenous, First Nations communities, and Black uh, children and youth and families. And so, there's been a lot of attention given to making some redress around some of that. And in particular, in the provinces, this movement, uh, Journey Towards Zero, the aim of which is to move away from sort of model that's been in operation for the last quite some time uh, towards supporting families and being able to care for their children and youth in ways that are helpful and less reliance on the, the child welfare system as a, as a system of support.
0: I received an email last night from a colleague of mine who's does a lot of work out on the the West Coast around child welfare, and uh, she was talking about the use of the word in care. And she says, you know, increasingly the people I'm working with use the word custody, right? In custody, as opposed to in care. And, and she wanted to know my my thoughts and my perspectives on it. And uh, I th- I think for me that r- it really opens up exactly what you're speaking about in this moment, right? What is the experience? How has you know, the government, the church, you know, other stakeholders been implemented in, in the removal of children? Is it, a, uh, is it a custodian relationship? Is it a care relationship? Is it a, um, you know, a mutual relationship? You know, what, what are all the complex nuances? And, and I think both of your, your work and your research, um, both David and Megan, you, you, know, you speak to so many of these intersecting um, elements and the complicated nature of this, this work in the child welfare system. Each of you are currently working on um, a project called Youth Can. Uh, and, and I wonder if you could, uh, as part of your youth-based initiatives, youth-led work, and I wonder if you could tell us what, what Youth Can is.
1: Definitely. So since 2006, OACAS has organized an annual Youth Can conference. And the CAN and Youth CAN stands for communication, advocacy, and networking. So the goal is, is kind of exposing youth and care across the province um, and within the system to each other, first and foremost, but also to post-secondary options, career opportunities. It's an opportunity to build valuable life skills through all these things like communicating, advocating, networking, um, the opportunities and exposure to all of this also provides um, significant supports to youth especially during the pandemic and you know we're going to talk i'm sure some more about isolation in particular but also an opportunity for them to come together and discuss with one another the systemic barriers or some of the challenges that they're facing and also to focus on you know their their stories of thriving and Positivity and, and making sure that we're building community for them.
2: Nice. What's additionally unique about the Youth Can Conference is this emphasis on the young people themselves. Youth with lived experience in the care system, uh, whether they lived in foster homes or group homes or were part of kinship care, they collaborate with us and other OACS staff, uh, as well as our Youth for Change Steering Committee. To plan, coordinate, and execute the the conference, and so they're really in the mix and the mire with us as we get uh, this conference underway.
0: Nice, so so important, I think. You know, Megan used the the term, you know, how young people can thrive, and that's actually sort of the the theme of this year's conference, right? It's beyond survive, thrive. There's a there's a particular explicit focus on this idea of of health and and well-being. Why was that particular topic chosen? yeah
1: so there's um, a little bit of a a context story to it when David and I first joined uh, OACAS there was a project that was being worked on called take five which has turned into a virtual online space that was built again with first Voice youth advocates I think at this point our roster is like over 30 plus community organizations across the province We really wanted to build an interactive space that focused specifically on reducing mental health risk and isolation for children and youth in care during COVID-19 and beyond. And so, initially, we were thinking, how can we maybe work in the themes of Take Five into the conference? And with our youth planning committee, we were kind of thinking, oh, there's a lot of different stuff happening in Take Five. Maybe it's better to pick one thing and and do it really well So between our youth advisors and and what we've just been hearing overall is that mental health and isolation has been a real thing especially during this pandemic and especially for children and youth in in front care it was hard enough before a pandemic add that on and it's definitely something that needs to be at the top of the priority list. And so where the, the title itself came from is that I was thinking out loud with David one day, like what rhymes with take five? Um, <laughs> and I was like, survive, thrive. And I was like, hold on, wait, no, maybe there's something, something to that. Because the narrative during this whole pandemic, I think for all of us has been surviving, right? Like how do we get through this uh, and look forward to our post-pandemic life um, and recognizing and realizing that for many children who are navigating the child welfare system, that idea of survival is an everyday thing with or without a pandemic Um, that we're often focused on getting to the next day. And it can be really hard to see past what's immediately in front of you because you're stuck in that survival mode for all the validated reasons that come along with it so in in talking about health and well-being and if that's what we're going to focus on like how do we also make sure that we're not just sticking to the narrative of surviving the pandemic but moving young people to a place and bringing in a narrative that allows them to feel like they can thrive um, get them out of that that survival mode and and sort of believe in them and help encompass and incorporate all of our language and all of our workshops and activities um, around this idea of of thriving and being able to look forward to the future and all of these possibilities and opportunities that, that can exist for all of them.
0: I I so appreciate that that answer. I mean, so frequently, we speak about young people in the child welfare system, we look at the deficits and the problems and all the the issues and the concerns which are so important and so legitimate and and rarely do we even consider the idea of, of thriving and excelling um, and, and those sorts of frames, right? It's about getting through or managing or, you know, we, we use this, this language, which is really just about, you know, crawling to the end point as opposed to that sense of success. So I, I really, really appreciate that. David, what are some of the ways that we can create things thriving and young people, how can we foster that health either as young people currently in the, the system or as those supporting them?
2: I've thought about this question as someone having had been in care and, and a number of my friends in my life right now are, are also formally in care and we've had conversations really informally about how did we, how did we make it through mm. and not only survive, but, but thrive and, and do well in some, in some ways, first and foremost finding mentors you know, for, mm. for young people in care, identifying mentors, building relationships, strong relationships with peers. And this can be both inside and outside of care, building strong relationships with peers who represent the best in you and for you, making alone time, which can be hard, especially if you're in a foster care or group care, but finding alone time to explore the things that bring you joy, interests, hobbies, taking time to really give thought to envision for your life beyond care, which can be really difficult when you're in the midst of it, to think about well, what would life look like after I leave here. But, but I find, um, me and my friends have found that we all sort of visioned, you know, we all gave thought to um, our time out of care and, and saw things for ourselves and dreamt for ourselves. And so that's important. And then lastly, I think utilizing the supports that care does provide. And, and, and some of that was things like access to mental health supports, which was really instrumental for me. And I know a number of of my friends. Funding and bursaries and scholarships that are available to young people in care, children, youth in care, the kinds of transition supports that are available to help youth who are exiting out uh, get access to employment and stable housing. It's really utilizing that. And then for folks who are supporting young people in the care system, show up, (laughs) show up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. follow through that's huge I I know that that's something that I heard uh, said time and again in some of my my research in past follow through being really significant and and consistency being honest being transparent being able to be clear on what you're able to do and not able to do recognizing that especially if you are a service provider that your relationships are really contextual and temporary so being really transparent and honest with what you're able to do as as a support person and then of course being compassionate in that relationship you know oftentimes young people who are in the care system have gone through a lot before and during their time in care and that can show up in a lot of ways that can be really challenging for other people to be in relationship with and so compassion and grace are are super important and key and it shows that those young people it shows and demonstrates to those young people that that they can trust you right that you can hold me even in my mess and I think that's that's important.
0: Post this in like class. <laughs> that, that, that list is so great. I, just out of curiosity, each of you, do you think you found adults in your lives who, or in particular, professional paid adults who, who showed up, who followed through, who were honest, transparent, and compassionate in your time in the child welfare system?
1: I think for me, on the professional level, that was something that was um, missing. And Mm. that was part of my motivation in in wanting to go into this kind of work. I think in the non-traditional way, I try to find what David's talking about with mentors and and having, you know, strong adults to, to sort of look up to, but that relational piece both personal relationships and professional relationships were a bit of a struggle for me when I was a young person. And like reflecting now as an adult, absolutely part of that was my own, my own walls that were up. I just didn't really want anyone to get close to me because I was so worried that 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 also meant I was vulnerable to them leaving and, and it would hurt more if I cared. Those are some interesting things that I reflect on that Maybe it it could have also been that I was creating those barriers to finding caring adults in my life because I was just so worried and hesitant to get there. But, you know, also recognizing the accountability on on the professional's end that the consistency and the showing up and the following through, even when I was really hard to be around or maybe missing.
2: Hmm. I can relate to some of what you're offering, Megan around the walls. Mm. And I think that that's common, right? For a lot of young people within the care system is, is the walls and the difficulty around trust. Many of us have had our trust broken many times by people who are meant to uh, take care of us, uh, sometimes our very own families. And so that's that's huge. I think where maybe our roads diverge is that I care was really helpful for me. You know, I, I share with people often that, as we're in this moment of of reassessing the the value and the impact of the child welfare system that I actually saw and uh, received the benefits of being in care. You know, I'm not an abolitionist of the care system in the least. I had some really amazing professionals show up for me, you know, folks with whom that I still have relationship to this day. I think about Karen, you know, who saw this angry, sullen, fat little black kid <laughs> and told him to sit down and taught me to meditate. I think about Dawn, this white woman <laughs> who uh, reconnected me with my community, with my culture as a, as a black person, mm-hmm. saw the value in, in that for me, who before I even had the words to articulate it at 10 and 11, created a space that allowed me to later on in my life, own and acknowledge and honor my being a gay man. I think about Nicola, who I'm still in relationship with to this day, who um, showed me that it was okay to like laugh and to find joy, that it didn't have to be just a custodial relationship, you know, it wasn't, didn't have to feel like prison, that it, I could find moments uh, of joy in there. And I think about Miss Bailey, my grade six math teacher, who saw me with very few friends. This is my third, third group home placement, who saw me in the class, sat in the back of the class reading Star Trek novels and playing with my pogs with no friends and invited me to sit with her for lunch. And for the remainder of the year, every lunch, Miss Bailey sat and ate lunch with me. And over the course of our time together, Miss Bailey shared that she too had been a, a child in the care system. And like me, was of, you know, Caribbean descent and that she made it out And was able to go to school and to uh, get her her teacher's license and and train and flash forward so many years when I was in graduate school myself, you know, she and I both were completing our our degrees at the same time, many, 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 many study periods in the library at York University, she and I sat side by side. And so those were examples to me of, you know, the lifelines that I think made the difference for for me while I was in, in the care system.
0: I'm getting a little tearful listening to the two of you speak right now. Those stories of care and love and compassion in such a profound way. And then the absence of that for for you, Megan, and the drive to enter into this and how each of you have, you know, parallel and such unique experiences and how that that's brought you together. Like it's it's profound. And I, I think one of the things that we often we lose in these conversations, in these complicated times that we live in is are the nuances, right? Are the amazing, beautiful, helpful people out there and who are meshed with the, the harmful, the negligent, the, the overworked, the, the tired, the, under-resourced, the underprepared. We spend a lot of time talking about adults and the role of adults and, and those are crucial but as you pointed out Megan the youth can the last word of uh, the first word is is communication the last word is is networking and so this idea of community this idea of networking one of the things that really strikes me about the youth can conferences and many people i know who've gone to the conferences over the years is this sense of community and i wonder if if you could talk about the value of peers particularly as it relates to health and well-being and and thriving
1: yeah so i mean even just in in our own personal stories but hearing time and time again from our youth advisors, from the young people that I've worked with throughout my career so far, we know how important relationships are. And and we've heard, especially from our youth advisors who are helping us plan the Youth Can Conference, that the, the biggest takeaway from them when they were attending themselves as young people was the relationships that they made with other youth across the province, really we know that being in care can be a really isolating experience it's hard to find other people who you can relate to but I think you know even even beyond a community of of young people in care like just the idea of community as a whole is so 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 important community based on however the young person chooses to identify, right? Like that community can look different for each person and and maybe have multiple different communities or or networks. But even in in Indigenous practices and in a holistic approach to to life, it's all about community. It's all about surrounding yourself with multiple people who who love you. Aunties and uncles, whether you are blood-related or not, right? Kokums, grandparents your brothers and sisters, and I I love what David had mentioned earlier about, you know, as professionals, it's really important for us to recognize, regardless of how incredible you are, your relationship is temporary. And I truly feel that what helps set a young person up for success far beyond care is having a community and having a network of support around them for when things get hard. And so I think, you know, the idea of having peers is incredibly important. Dave and I even had a focus group yesterday where we were talking to young people who identify within the LGBTQ community and talking about rights and, and what could have potentially made their experience a little bit easier and more positive. And everybody offered up having peer support groups when they first entered care and being able to talk to other young people who were either in care or had previously been in care and so the evidence and the research is there and we need to start being able to, to really hone in on that, decolonize our minds, decolonize our approach to all of this work, step away from like the professionals knowing best and recognizing that there are people within these young people's lives and far beyond the institutionalized piece of child welfare that are ultimately going to carry these young people forward into that place of thriving we hope.
2: Mm -hmm. there's some really good examples of that that are happening in at least in our networks you know uh, some of our young people that are connected to the work around youth can are also part of other projects one of which is the cheers program which people may or may not be familiar with Mm -hmm. the cheers program is a peer mentorship program with an emphasis on black black children and youth started by former youth in care and and social worker, Anaya Fares, and is run out through Parkdale Queen West Community Health Center. And a lot of their work is focused on, again, yeah, identifying mentors in community to work with Black youth and children in care to give them some kind of hope and inspiration and and that allow them to feel connected to something larger than themselves. And, And so that's just one example. And we know that one of our young people on our advisory is, is connected to that and she's done some great work. The project outside is her, her project um, across the province. And so, yeah, there are examples of, of peer uh, focused work that's being done in really intentional ways. And so I wanted to at least note that.
0: Yeah, thank you, David, absolutely. Um you know, Project Outsiders, um, many of the listeners might be familiar with this, um, project, you know, we hosted Shanice's podcast on this, on this platform, uh, starting in January. So you can go back and listen to some incredible conversations with the young people who have that lived experience, talking to other young people or not so young people with that lived experience. And it really shows the value from, from when I listen to those about, um, about peers, um, and and uh, for listeners who are interested, I also did a, a conversation with Anaya several years ago now. Um, so you can, if you search "cheers" in the search engine of the the podcast, you'll be able to uh, hear my conversation with her, uh, as well as another conversation I had with uh, the foster mother who um, who uh, Anaya lived with for for many years. Uh, David, you. Um, when you when you bring up Shanice and and you Project Outsiders and Anaya and Cheers, really what you're talking about are are other young people in the care system supporting young people in the care system. And you and you you talked about conversations with your with your peers who were also involved in the child welfare system or who have placement experience um, and reflecting. And I'm I'm wondering. While in inside the child welfare system, while going through that, you know, recognizing multiple placements, recognizing, um, you know, some people are in group homes, some people are in foster homes, some people, you know, have one placement, some people have, you know, a dozen placements. How can those in care support other people in care while they're in care?
2: (laughs) I think it's comparable to what I offered up earlier, being consistent and showing up for, you know, I think sometimes, and Megan's touched on this, the first thing that I think is broken down for young people who move through the care system is the ability to create healthy and longstanding relationships. And so uh, as young people in the care system, you have to be intentional about building and creating and sustaining relationships. And so extending yourself to other people I know that I gave examples earlier about my relationships and and continuing relationships with with folks that I had moved through the care system with. I had to be really intentful about that. I had to be very, very intentful about that. And we were lifelines for each other, you know, and we were able to to share experiences, good, bad, and in between, be honest with each other, you know, listen with that compassion and, and grace that I talked about. And so those are just the ways, being a good, solid friend, <laughs> which might seem a given, but uh, for many of us who've moved through those kinds of systems and who come out of homes or environments that were not super helpful or, you know, at best, and at worst, very harmful and violent, sometimes what's broken down is our ability to do that, building work, relationship-sustaining work. And so that's my roundabout offering, is be intentful and build those meaningful relationships. Be an ear you know, and, and ask for an ear when you need it and sustain those relationships and maintain those even mm-hmm. after you've transitioned out of, of the care system.
0: I'm curious, what about people who are not from the care system? So, you know, peers who one meets in, in elementary school or high school or the, at the community center because that's where the, that's the programming that the, that the foster home offers. How might people outside of the care system support young people who are currently in the child welfare system. Any thoughts on that from either of you?
1: David, do you want to tackle this one? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and if you don't, that's, that's totally, totally cool too, right? You can just say, I don't know, someone, someone you should get somebody else on to answer this question. And that, that's totally fine as well. I was just curious if you had any thoughts on that.
2: So I remember early into my, time and care, and I I spent over uh, four and a half years in the care system, from adolescence into my teens, I remember early days, really having not super great relationships with folks out of care. You know, I had made friends in school, and uh, over time, they would come to learn where I lived, and it became something to make fun of on the playground, and, you know, I I experienced bullying as a result of it, and I remember at some point in my journey, I, I began lying Mm -hmm. about where I lived Mm -hmm. and making up elaborate stories and trying to explain away why there were so many people that lived where I lived who didn't look like me or why different people came to pick me up from school. or The friendships that I made that I I think were helpful during a time that felt really not so great were those friends who uh, left me space to tell the truth Mm -hmm. and who stuck around even after I told the truth and who didn't uh, make me feel less than because the environment that I was coming out of looked different than the homes that they were coming out of and who didn't uh, treat me with kids' gloves because I think that that can be equally as damaging when people sort of pity you or pander to you, but who, who made me feel like I was just another friend who just happened to have a different story, you know? the offering for, for those folks who are not in care, those young people who are not in care, who are supporting friends who are, be you, you know, and, and treat the, the friend that you have that's in the care system as if they were like anyone else. Um, recognizing, however, that unlike others, some of our lives and our stories are just a little different um, and a little more challenging that they don't need to necessarily alter and accommodate us in any kind of particular way, but just acknowledge, oh, you know, mom and dad aren't, aren't at home. Oh, you know, your story just looks a bit different.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's not your story to share with other people. It's already hard enough, like David was saying, to to even be open enough and, and confident enough in a relationship to talk about what might be going on at home or, or not at home. And... It can also, unfortunately, too, like when you do take that, that chance and that risk to share some of those pieces, especially when you're in high school and there are so many complicated dynamics to, to navigate already, that if somebody shares their story with you, like what an, what an honor, mm-hmm. what, what a special moment to share with your friends. This is a special story that was told to me and is absolutely not my story to share with others on behalf
0: of this person. Such a crucial, crucial point, right? It goes back to that idea that David talked about earlier around trust and uh, honesty, and how do you build that? Thank you both for that. As we move towards wrapping up this conversation, I, I want to talk a little bit more about the about the conference and, and just sort of end on that. But before I do, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what the experience has been like, Megan, you talked earlier about isolation, but during COVID, you know, I know lots of staff, for example, who, you know, there was an outbreak and all of a sudden they're, they're living in the group home for a week or two weeks shifts. And, and so the, there's been all kinds of disruptions, young people who refuse to stay and who leave and who are kicked out or who have to go to isolation and uh, in their rooms and just all the ripples of that. I wonder if either of you could talk a little bit about what has been the impact of of COVID on those in the, in the child welfare system here in Ontario.
1: I can imagine it's been different for different individuals. Like we've heard, of course, like the really hard, difficult stories, but again, and, and also realize and recognizing like our our sort of fallback to narratives in in a lot of the work we do is to focus exactly on that right like what are the have been the challenges and the concerns and there are absolutely those some of which you can you can imagine and others that you know even just on more of a systemic level like being able to find placement for young people during a pandemic and and there being less beds and there being less sort of or more barriers put in place in terms of where they can even go. People are having to move across the province. We've heard stories of young people being placed in hotel rooms while they're waiting for a bed. And having staff sitting outside of their doors, right? So there are those really hard, difficult pieces of it. But there have also been young individuals who have found ways to thrive in all of this. Young people who were feeling anxious about going to school in person, who were dealing with a lot of truancy, um, who are now thriving and doing really well with their online classes, who are finding new ways of of connecting with people and, and making friends online. And so I think there are, of course, things that people are missing, but there are also positives that for some people have come out of all of this. And part of our registration for the Youth Can Conference even offers an opportunity for young people who are attending to share their thrive stories and what they have accomplished over the last year, whether it's graduating, finding a job, whatever thrive and success looks and means to them because we also have our own sort of adult and, and institutional and colonial ideas of success for young people that can look different. and so. I just wanted to offer that that of course the the pandemic has impacted all of us in many many ways there are hard pieces to all of it and let's also make sure we're, we're reminding ourselves to find those examples of, of, of positivity for the young people too because they deserve to have light like, sh- shone on that as well
0: absolutely absolutely as we wrap up, is there anything else you want to say about the youth can conference? I will put some links into the show notes. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about it or reasons why people should attend it or anything else you want to say?
2: So I think it's sort of a given that uh, youth with lived experience in the care system are more than welcome to attend. And so if folks are connected to young people, Uh, who are in or have previous experience in care to please make it known to them. But for those adults who are working with uh, children and youth uh, as well, that that there's space and place for you in this conference as well. And so we'll be really intentful this year at carving out space for service providers, doing work with children and youth. Uh, There will be some intentional time taken during this year's conference to have some meaningful adult conversations. So it's a conference for you as well. Uh, And so everybody is welcome to, to uh, register and to attend and and hopefully people make it out. It's a quick, quick two days, but uh, a full and packed agenda with a lot of room for laughter and joy and and music. We're ending off our conference with a talent show that will be amazing, allowing space for our uh, young people connected to the conference to showcase their skills in front of an audience of their peers. And so so it's going to be a good two days
0: amazing that is in august 2021 august 10th and 11th registration is open so i encourage people to register and david and megan i want to thank you both for such a insightful beautiful and honest conversation with me today and i i've learned a lot i suspect many of our listeners will learn a lot. I want to thank both of you for the just incredible work that you're doing and your willingness to bring yourselves to this, this work. So thank you both.
1: Chi-miigwech for the opportunity. Really happy to have been here.
2: Thank you so much.
0: And we will see you on the 10th and the 11th. Bye for now.